Hello, and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, On Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. Today we're talking about getting better at games. Sure, it's easy to just say, play more, but is that all there is to do? Today we'll take a look at the practice makes perfect theory applied to a single game, as well as playing a lot of different games to get better at games in general. But first, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison and the SGC, and a huge thank you to all of our other patrons as well. Happy post-Thanksgiving. Any cool stories? I am more rotund. (laughs) (laughs) I did some Black Friday shopping by accident this year because I forgot to get a kid's birthday gift. That's as good a reason as any to go Black Friday. Just a child? (laughs) Hmm? Just a child? Um, My husband's cousin. Ah. Slash godson. But not my godson. But... That's a a different podcast. (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) <laughs> the complexities of Kitty's relationships is a podcast of its own that no one wants to listen to, including myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we drove to Michigan from Chicago and, well, east side of Michigan from Chicago, so those are familiar. It's about five and a half, six hours. Um, and, yeah, that really messed up Zach's sleeping schedule, so that first night was a miserable. On the way we, back, it oh. wasn't as bad, but he's teething. He has a cold. He feels miserable. He's given me and Sydney the cold. So if I go into a coughing fit, I'm just going to mute my mic and you guys will just have to carry the episode from that point on. But Player well, three yeah. has gone crazy. Um, he he has this book called Five Little Pumpkins Growing in the Patch, and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't read this book anymore. Is it about pumpkins? It is about five little pumpkins. And he has identified which of the pumpkins is him which one's mommy which one's daddy mommy is the pear-shaped pumpkin and daddy is the (laughs) one with weird teeth so that's flattering (laughs) (laughs) but last night he didn't even want us to read the book he just wanted to hold the book so i was like okay fine easier on me so he held the book and he brought it to bed with him and i was like "Mm, there's no harm in this really right no there is harm. At 12.30, he woke up and he wanted to read the book again. And he started yelling <laughs> from his bed that he wanted me to come read this book. So I went in there and I took the book away. And he just walked off the edge of his bed. He was so upset trying to get the book back. <laughs> and it was just so... It was bad. but Infuriating and hilarious at the same time. Ten minutes later, he was back asleep. He doesn't even have a bruise. He's fine. But <laughs> it was a very intense 15 minutes of like... Why did I let you sleep with a pumpkin book? This is all my own fault. <laughs> all right. So player three is foreshadowing for me because he's almost exactly one year older. So in one year from now, as long as we've trained him not to like books, we'll be fine. That's yeah, don't let him don't get let too book, attached books to are books. Bad. <laughs> books are bad, okay? All right, Kitty, you wrote down here Trolls 2, and I don't know what that is. I don't think I've watched Trolls 1, so explain to me what, what is Trolls 2. You don't know Trolls 1? I know Trolls are these little pencil eraser toppers no you don't know the movie trolls Trolls? no oh get ready for a year from now because this is player three's favorite new movie (laughs) and it's one of the few movies that i can watch that he enjoys that i don't want to like run away screaming forever um we've started calling it's the great pumpkin charlie brown the supreme gourd and the unfortunate boy because if you say any of the words he wants to watch it (laughs) (laughs) but trolls isn't so bad and the trailer for trolls 2 just came out and i am so excited and i think we're gonna have to take player three to go see it in theaters because he enjoys trolls one so much 
We saw Frozen 2 this weekend, and that that I enjoyed quite a bit. That one snuck up on me, too. Having a kid, you just lose track of anything that's in the theaters. And then... Because when do you, you have know, time to family... do things? Yeah. Yeah. I our, actually have um, plans to go see it with my friends next week. Yeah, that I Player 3 it. is not invited. <laughs> was it any good? Did you like it? It was very, very good. The story is is more in-depth than... And I would say the story is more in-depth than the first one. The music of the first one is better. But that could either be because the first one is, like, the one you became... Like, that's what you liked. But, um... I think there was more catchy songs in the first one. But yeah, it's definitely worth seeing. I will watch it multiple times because that's what I do with any kind of musical, period. Yeah, you should watch Trolls. It's very good. You'll enjoy Is it. Is there music? Yeah. Oh, all right. Fine. Trolls. Anna Kendrick I will watch. stars. It's Anna Kendrick and Justin Timberlake are the stars what? of Trolls. Yeah. How did I miss this? All I right, don't know. Fine. I'm seriously shocked. It's because you didn't live with me, I guess, anymore. I haven't so seen for it either, those, if it makes you yeah. feel better. Well, yeah, but it does I make... didn't expect you to necessarily, <laughs> Fletcher. I, not it to be insulting at all, but you don't seem like a trolls kind of guy. Whereas Chris is <laughs> no, like not, strange magic. But do I seem magic. like a frozen kind of guy? Maybe. No, but Carmen seems more like a frozen kind of girl. It's oh, because true. I'll watch Disney movies, and trolls trolls is not a Disney or Pixar movie. No, it is part of the DreamWorks universe. But um, yeah. trolls I don't is watch good, DreamWorks and how to train track. your dragon is also. <laughs> No, I that's like true. the How to or Train, how to your, train dragon your Dragon franchise. Yeah, yeah I, I have, oh, for those who don't know, Kitty and I used to live together for I don't know, several years. Yeah. And we probably watched Pitch Perfect, I don't know, 80 times Easily. in that span. So, so much yeah. that Spencer like banned us from watching it in his <laughs> presence. <laughs> so we would just wait till he goes to sleep and then we would like drink a bottle of wine and watch Pitch Perfect until two in the morning. Yeah. Those were the days. It was a good time. <laughs> All right, let's talk children. about games. <laughs> so this topic um i don't actually remember where it came from i think i was listening to another podcast and they were talking about how to get better at keyforge you just you know you have to play it you have to play it and this made me think of like how do you get better at games in general and we've talked about cult of the new cult of the old the fact that you know if you want to play different games all the time what are you really exploring are you trying to get really good at a game are you trying just to learn the system etc but i thought it would be interesting to Talk about this from our different perspectives. So just a reminder, Fletcher has a limited set of games, but it is not a limited rule set of games. Like you'll play anything from Sushi Go to Kingdom Death Monster. Yep. And have. And have. And Kitty, you grew up playing games. Mm-hmm. And I and, you know, a lot of family-ish games, but, you know, just in general, I kind of stick anything. to the midweight range, yep. like to midweight games, but can go heavier if i feel so inclined and i will play anything and i think we'll get into a little bit of how my competitive nature of like these two-player trading card games can come out in me and how i feel like i'm really good at them at the beginning but i tend to get worse at them over time relative to the community yes and i'm like i don't want to get worse so how do i get better so that's that's what we're talking about here so this is, I'm just going to essentially kind of throw this over to you guys to start with, and then we can kind of just go through this. But if someone said, you know, Fletcher, Carmen and you are playing games, you're playing Sushi Go, and she loses every single game. She's having fun, but she always loses at the game. And eventually she feels like, Ugh, I just, I don't want to play this game anymore. 
I like I don't I never win at it. Like yeah, it was fun to start with, but you know, it just, I just know I'm going to lose. So why would I play it? What would you do? What would advice would you give her to get better at like a casual game that she enjoyed at first, but is not enjoying because she hasn't gotten better or at least hasn't kept pace with the rest of the group? Um, that's so. What I would probably do is I'd like I would I would outline like if it was just us or if it's just. Like in a group setting, I would outline my strategies and like what's working for me and say like, well, this is what I'm doing and this is what I see like you doing and like the group doing. And like, this is how I base my decisions based on what I saw other people doing. Um, and hopefully that might give, cause maybe she doesn't understand part of the game or part of the rule set or doesn't understand like, uh, like my thought process and like why I keep winning. Or why, or any, why she's not doing as well. Um, so I would probably explain the rule, like the moves that I'm making and, and my decisions behind them, as to why I'm, you know, not losing. As like a conversation longer. As a conversation between games, or would you like say, okay, we're gonna play a game, and all we're gonna do here is each time I do something, I'm gonna let you know why I'm doing it. I'm gonna show you what my options were and why I chose this specific option it would probably be it's like a discussion between games depending on like this you know the exact scenario or whatever but it'd probably be something that i said like oh well you know i did x y and z because i saw a b and c you know blah 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 blah. that's that's what i'm doing and and it seems to be working out for me like and by making her better you know you're kind of like making you have to make the group better too right because then that strategy is not going to necessarily work the next time or like people have to think about that well and that also goes to there's the assumption that she wants to get better at it and doesn't want to just not play the game anymore sure i think i think you set it up as like she's asking what she can do to get better but if she's not asking i would probably explain this and then you know an angry carmen is not a fun carmen (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and obviously this is like a hypothetical i actually don't know if she's good at sushi go or not um but it's it's that type of thing where I've seen this a lot where casual gamers, especially people who like, you know, the more party game, casual games, they like the games because of the experience, not necessarily because of winning or losing. And a game like Sushi Go may not be a great example, um, but it, it sort of is because anybody can do well and get points, but there is strategy in, behind it, right? There's, there's like, a, what am I going for? What do I see other people going for? If you get in a group of people who are just playing it for fun versus someone who's actually analyzing all the cards and the probabilities, the group's going to lose and that person's going to win. So it just really depends on how cutthroat you are. And that's really what the whole subject is about is, you know, if you're cutthroat, well, maybe not if you're cutthroat, if winning (laughs) matters to you, how do you get better at, at the game, right? Just keeping up. So, Kitty, what would you do in a similar situation? Like, um, I mean, you grew up with a gaming family, so they're all kind of used to playing games. If someone's just not catching on in your family, are they are they more likely to try to get better at it or just saying, I don't like that game? Um, I think if it's because they're not doing well, they're more likely to want to get better. Um, if, But I think my family is very good at recognizing, like, this is just a game I don't want to play. Um I feel that way. Like we all got out Munchkin, read the rules, and was like, mm, "No, thank you." <laughs> like it moved yeah. on. Um, but we're very good at um, handicapping games, also. And this was something more we did for like when we were all different ages. So um, I actually just got 
the Amazing Labyrinth game for um, my cousin, Spencer's cousin that I was just talking about. So I got him the Amazing Labyrinth. For and this kid. was a game I yeah, remember <laughs> playing as a kid that I really liked. Um, and the reason I really liked it was because the rules as written, you're supposed to have this stack of cards and you only look at one and you have to go to one objective at a time. But the way my mom would play is Jack is little. So Jack gets three face-up objectives or face-down, whichever it is. So Jack has his choice of, like, I can go to the easy one first. But because I'm older, I have two objectives. And because we're playing my mom, who's an adult, she has her one objective. So now she has changed a game that would have been really hard for me or my brother to win and has turned it into an even playing field for all of us. And that was something that really helped us. And so we all felt like you were playing the same game, but you also had an even footing enough to want to play the game long enough to get good enough to play the same way as everyone else. And that's sort of the training wheel method of it, right? Yeah. So you start out with training wheels. Eventually, you're going to lose those training wheels, and you're just riding your normal bike. And eventually, you're going to want like a high-performance BMX bike and taking jumps and stuff. You need like clips, pedals, all that fancy stuff, whatever. Yep. Because if you start out without training wheels and you just keep falling off your bike and scratching up your face, um, first of all, wear a helmet. And (laughs) (laughs) but you're not going to really enjoy. It's not like trying. No. Yeah. You're like, no, 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 no. I'm done with that. I'm I'm okay not playing this anymore. And I think that I see this in the gaming. Well, I don't see it personally because I guess I just don't hang out with those kinds of groups. But you see stories about people who will come with a particular game that they love and they just want to play it. And really, they just want to destroy anyone that comes <laughs> into it. And that is the fastest way. Mage Knight. Mage Knight is like one of the top rated games, especially for solo play. I played it at a convention because it was on books and someone wanted to play it. I played this game. They wanted like it was obvious they knew every possible tactic. I've never played that game again because the game was ruined for me playing with this person. So I remember when um, we were playing Codex, I didn't have as much time to dedicate to um, learning and coming up with my things as you did. So what you would do was find the combinations that were like online, like no one can win with this. And you would play those combinations and then you'd let me play the good ones. So it was like a level playing field because I knew less what I was doing with an easier win situation. And that felt way better than when we were playing Dice Masters and you just murdered me all the time. <laughs> yeah, well, all right. So, and and let's talk about that for a little bit. Talking about studying games outside of the game. So, Fletcher, you've played, what competitive games have you played that are would fall into the fact that it's like even Hearthstone. Obviously, it's not a, a physical game, but it's still that co- competitive card game thing. But what competitive games have you played where outside of the game you'll talk strategy to your friends? Um, Magic and um, Magic is Magic is fine. Yeah, like so. So and then Kitty brought up Dice Masters, which is an ongoing "I will never live it down" type of scenario. <laughs> So, and obviously I've played, you know, I played Magic, Dice Masters, um, currently it's Keyforge. Uh, I listen to Game of Thrones podcasts. Um, I've never gotten into some of, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon. I haven't really gotten into those, but um, Pokemon's actually a decent game. Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah, is just Pokemon the worst Yeah, Pokemon back game. in the day, too. 
Pokemon. So when you're talking about these games between sessions, between games, you are getting better at them, right? You're talking about different strategies, different cards, how this card interacts with another card. If you are the person in your group that's doing this and nobody else is, or actually a very common thing is you and one friend or you and a significant other are both into this, both playing this game. One (laughs) of you is into it a little bit more than the other one. And that person starts like just talking strategy online, reading up on different ways to get better. And they ultimately become so good that the person that they actually get to play with can't actually compete with that. They're not keeping up. And that person isn't interested in having these conversations about getting better card combinations. Like, I just enjoyed playing the game, and now you're taking it to a whole nother level where I'm going to bring it up on our podcast pretty much, you know, two-thirds <laughs> of the episodes <laughs> for 171 episodes. Um, I make fun. It wasn't two-thirds, maybe one-third. But <laughs> but it's, it's a fair criticism, right? Because... Kitty's Kitty and you enjoyed Dice Masters. I did. I really enjoyed it. I listened to podcasts. I like found the right things. I found all the different, you know, the different rulings and how everything went together and like these edge cases and stuff. And you're like, but wait. Uh, well, the thing that would kill me was I would like we would play in the morning and then I'd like work just a four hour shift and I'd come back. And you would have set up a game ready and you would have spent that whole four hours I was gone because you could like listen to these podcasts and come up with these things while you were still doing your actual work. And I couldn't. I was busy. I had to teach preschool classes and all kinds of things that I couldn't listen to a podcast. And I just come back and you would have learned how to destroy me in the four hours (laughs) while I was gone. And anytime I felt like, oh, now I've seen what he can do. I've caught up. I would leave the house and come back and you would have already figured out like, no, now I've gained the next level. Like you were just so deep into it that I didn't have the time to match it. And it it was very frustrating. And also I was getting all of your hand-me-down dice. So you had like all of the ultra rares and then I had, yeah, like a lot of rares, but you have like, you know, the... The super packs. So I just had hand-me-down sad cards, and I just couldn't keep up. <laughs> well, and I think the difference there is you were playing for fun, and yes. I was playing for fun as well, but part of the fun was learning all of the ins and outs of the game. Yes. So, and I, I wasn't trying to be better at the game than you. No. I was actually trying. I just was. It just, well, <laughs> yes. No, you're just trying to, like, reach the level that you were having fun at, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. It was just that I couldn't keep up. And it's not that I wasn't even interested in keeping up. It was just, you know, I didn't have the time um, or the resources <laughs> to keep up with it. And so well, see, it, it just all right, was... So where Fletcher's talking about how to you know, kind of bring someone up, talk between games, here's here's what I do, here's what I'm thinking. When I was doing that, what I was doing was, all right, I'm going to go out and research all of this. And then we're going to play and I'm going to teach you in playing how all of these like mechanisms work together and how, oh, you can do this and this and this. But I think the problem was you, we weren't on the same level of what we were doing. We weren't practicing the game. We were playing the game. Yeah. And I was playing the game kind to of- To a higher level. Quote, yeah, quote unquote, to teach you what you could do by destroying you in by the process. By beating me all the time, yeah. <laughs> right. So like, I think we've learned a lot because with Keyforge, 
we had the potential for this to happen again. Well, you still do not like losing to me in Keyforge. I mean, <laughs> I don't like losing to anyone in Keyforge. That's fair. <laughs> but the bigger thing is I don't like getting destroyed by a deck you've played multiple times that I've never seen before to the point where I have generated enough amber that if I was given three turns to do anything, I could win, but I am unable to do so. Or I have been playing for so long and this game just keeps dragging on and on and on and I've never in the entire game had more than three amber. Those games are miserable. And that just happens. And... You know, part of wanting to play a game is, you know, after that happens, I need, I know for me, I need to take a break. And once again, I think, you know, sometimes that happens where I wasn't expecting it. But other times I know that you've got this like monster deck and that you're going to destroy me or that we're going to have this like epic battle. But if we're acting like we're on a team, we do much more of this like narrated play where... As we play, it's, I'm doing this because of this. Why are you doing that? Is that really the best move? And you can, you know, we allow take backs and let, I, you know, I can't tell you what the rest of my hand looks like because this is the best decision I have. I know it looks like a bad one, but trust me, it's the best I have, you know, kind of moments. And I think that much more elevates our play than like, let me show you how to win by destroying you in a humiliating fashion. So let me ask you both a question. Yes and no with whatever follow up on there. And Fletcher, I'm going to ask you first. Okay. Do you learn more? And and let's assume that we're playing competitive games. Now, it's easy to talk about one-on-one competitive, but this could be any competitive game. You know, Cutthroat Dominion whatever. Do you learn more by winning a game or by losing a game? As in getting better, as in your next game, are you going to be better if you lost your last game or won your last game? Or basically that's the spirit of it. Um, I would probably say maybe, maybe losing. I would say it's pretty even because I can, you can still learn a lot from winning, especially if you're new to a game, but or new to winning on average, because, but, like, if you're losing, I mean, obviously you can learn more because you could have done better. Kitty, what do you think? I think it depends on how the game is played. I think you can, I think I usually learn more by losing, but you can learn by winning. Like, I feel like, so if we're talking Keyforge, if I win against you, I have learned something. If I win against Doug, I have learned something. If I win against Spencer, I might not have learned something. And just to loop people in, I'm assuming that you are assume, or presuming that Doug and I are good at the game. We play it quite often and I play through. Spencer does not play it very often. He's not very good. So winning against a good player, you may learn something. Winning against a bad player, you've learned that you could oh, learn I can beat something, them. but you could just be relying on old skills that you've already had. Yep. So or or you could actually and that's where really where the next question goes is do you learn better against playing good players? Or bad players. Because I've seen this happen a lot where people think that, hey, I I won this game because the my opponent didn't realize that they could do a specific thing. They made a mistake because they were just in, unexperienced. So therefore, I'm good at this because my opponents didn't figure it out. And as long as I can, you know, get my opponent to not realize those mistakes, I'm I'm good at this game. Other side is, 
I only want to play the best player I can play to the point where if I see somebody make a mistake that's just blatantly, oh, wait, you're not paying attention to whatever board state I have. I will say you probably shouldn't do that because this is going to happen and have them take that back and do that specifically because I don't want to win against a player that is losing based on their observation skills. I want them to be losing because what the mechanics of the game, not the the skill of the player. So where do you guys fall in that as far as like, because you can have people that are too good. If you play players that are so good, you know, you play a grandmaster chess champion, you're not going to learn anything from those games. <laughs> you're not at that level, right? Yeah. So where in that level do you want to be? You want to be playing somebody who's like the next step above you, I think. Yeah, typically I, I, I would say. Yeah. You want to play somebody who who you feel like you can learn from, but that it's not so far a stretch to learn that you're not even comprehending the lesson. I 100% would agree. And that's where it's sort of tricky when you have those groups, the mixed groups, where it's like, I'm going to research all of this. And where you start out, where you feel like you're at the same level, all of a sudden, you're not at that same level anymore. And it's not fun to play. And it's you're not actually learning anymore. So how do we fix that? How do we, how do we get everyone on the same level? Uh, I mean, I, I think part of, can. yeah, like part of this falls to interest. Like you can only coax someone along so much before you're not helping them get better. You're bullying them into making you better. And that's not fun anymore. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> which is why I don't play dice masters. <laughs> <laughs> But well, I do yeah, think, you're just you using know, them as a it's like, I don't want to be the punching bag anymore. I, I do think, though, that this goes back to um, our listener mail from last week. We talked about finding people to play with. And if you're interested in these games at a very competitive level, you're not necessarily going to be able to practice with your friend group. You might have to go out and search out other players at that next level that you can get to that next play level with. No, I definitely agree with that. I think that the friend group is a way of getting into a game, but there are going to be certain friends that are obviously more interested than others in that game. And sometimes you have to go out and you have to be like, okay, I need to find someone who wants to be beat and they want to be beat because they are, they need to find their weaknesses and they want to learn too. Yeah, they're also yeah. looking yep. to elevate themselves. Yeah, and if sure. you don't have that, it doesn't work. Um, so this is a problem in competitive games in general, especially for the like the two player dueling games, where a new player will come in and they'll just get beat down. You know, that first day, it's just like they get destroyed. They're just learning the rules, and you know, especially in constructed deck like you know Star Wars, oh, Magic, yeah. Pokemon. You know, they're yeah, just yeah, yeah. they have nothing. I have the starter deck, and okay, well, now I'm going to destroy you. And there's only so many times that you can lose before you're like, okay, I'm just not interested in this game. Yep. Yeah. It takes a very specific type of player that's willing to lose for six months straight to get better to the point where they can come back and be like, all right, now I got this and I can, I'm going to destroy you. There's, and that's not most gamers. Most gamers are not like that. I do think there's also, you know, we talked about this kind of tangentially in our other answers, but there's the research you do. So when so I'm not able to play Keyforge as much as you or um, Sydney because you and Sydney can play each other. You live in the same house. It happens all the time. 
Uh, Doug lives we played a, lot a couple closer. games before we started recording, and she destroyed me twice in a row against some of my best decks. I'm like, son of a nice, I love <laughs> it. Um, and Doug, our other friend who is very good at Keyforge, lives a lot closer to the gaming store where you guys all go, and you know there's going to be a community there Wednesday nights to play. I have a very busy life, and Monday nights I'm often recording a podcast, and that's when my local game store does Keyforge. And I, even if I am not recording a podcast, I get tired very easily, and I have a toddler, and my husband would have to watch him, and it's like, wouldn't I rather spend that time seeing my husband and enjoying like his company instead of going off and playing Keyforge? But Depends on the I night, still but sure. keep up with. I listen to podcasts. I follow the subreddit on Keyforge. I do all these things where I know the cards. Even if I've never seen it in play, I've never come across it. I know the card. And I think having that knowledge, even if I'm not as practiced a player, still would make me better than a lot of people out there who might play more often casually. I would agree with that. I've actually played a number of people that. They play a lot, and to another one of my bullet points, but they play against the same person. It might be a sibling, you know, they only play their brother or sister. Um, it could be a father, you know, actually, we know a couple father-son combos, but, um, you know, I've met mother-daughters and all, all crosses of things. But you play the same person over and over and over. And I've played people in Vault Tours, which are like, you know, the highest level of competitive for Keyforge, where they weren't actually clear on rules that I just assumed that everyone was clear on, right? They're like, oh, that's how that works. And I think this goes across any, especially the more complicated the game. You know, you play Magic, and if you just play Magic casually against one person, there's all kinds of rulings and cards and mechanics that you're like, oh, we thought it worked this way. It works that way. That's, oh, right. Arata, where you have to know there was a change made to the core rules, and this card should read this way, and... and even that's even more advanced, right? Oh, yeah. We're just talking, like, just being in the know, Basic just gameplay. listening to other people talk about gameplay can make you a better player. I will say that actually playing is necessarily as well, mm-hmm. because it's really easy to look and listen, but doing is different. And we see that in all kinds of, it's not just games, it's everything, right? It's like, oh, here's this training course and this thing you're going to do. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, I got this. And you go out there and you the first step is like, oh, wait, what What am I supposed to be doing? Definitely. And I think that's still, you know, I don't think I'm as competitive as you, Doug, and Sydney. And I do think that's just due to a lack of experience in more competitive gameplay. And, you know, that's just not something that's going to change until I start getting out there and playing more. And a lot of that sometimes comes from just feeling comfortable playing the game like i get nervous <laughs> much more easily because i don't do this all the time so getting flustered and that kind of stuff like and that's the kind of thing that playing with anybody can help it you don't have to be playing at this like high level competitive play just going through the actions feeling comfortable knowing where your pieces go flipping your coins keys whatever those things are called i swear <laughs> knowing what the components are named yeah, knowing cups. what the components are go- <laughs> yeah. named. Um, remembering which token means ward and which one means stun and that kind of stuff, you know. 
Those yeah. are the well, things it, that I can know exactly what a card does, but then I go to find the piece and I get flustered because I can't find the right color piece or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then different card interactions might come up that you've never seen before. It's like, oh, wait, how do these two things work together? Well, and- see, I actually think I know a lot more about that because that's a lot of what the podcast and stuff focus on is like these rare edge cases of like what happens when you have three gray riders on the board or whatever it is, you know, and how does this um, Archimedes affect these things, you know, and like the edge cases. I am on that. I know the bizarre cards. I know <laughs> the weird stuff, but like some of the like more basic things are what trip me up. Yeah. So Fletcher, have you been in a situation where you played a game, you liked that game, but you didn't really want to keep playing it because you're like, okay, I'm going to have to invest too much time into this game to actually enjoy it at the same level of yeah. the people that are playing this. Keyforge. <laughs> <laughs> the example that just keeps on giving. I know. I mean, also like Magic, but like back when I was playing Magic, I didn't have any money because I was like yeah. 12. Um, but now it's like I have I have the means to like really play this game if I wanted to get into it. But I, I just don't. I like the decks that I have. <laughs> I will play them occasionally you know, with you guys or maybe some other people. Um, but like, I just don't want to invest that time and energy and money into this game. So let's take it out of, so we've talked a lot about the two player dueling games in general. Let's take it out of that. Let's, let's go into something. Um, let's talk wingspan for a little while. So yes. we've all played wingspan. We all like wingspan. Wingspan is a fully competitive game. There mm-hmm. is some interaction with each other, but relatively light. You know what I was like- noticing is that actually a lot of the player interaction is positive player interaction. Somebody does something and you get something And you for get a it. reward. Yeah. 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 The only negative interaction is basically, you know, the birds that you buy from the, the, store. the market. Yeah. Yep. Right. Emptying like, the market. Yep. So that can, you can take something that someone else wants and you don't have to use the, that card. So you can actually look over and say, oh, Kitty really needs this bird. I'm just going to take it because the nest on that would give her too many points. But even that, it's hard to do because there's so many birds and you don't know that the next bird that comes off the deck isn't going to have that same nest type. Yeah. Also, so, I love that, that game. kind of That kind <laughs> of mentality is like, I don't want to win. I want you to lose. Yes. It's not in the spirit of Wingspan, Chris. Well, <laughs> not only that, but it's like, I, I don't know. You're not like playing to win. You're just playing for that other person not to lose. It's two well, different it strategies, sort of depends. but the point is to like win. Yeah. If you're playing two players, there is no such thing as take that. Everything I do that negatively affects you positively affects me. When you're playing multiple, more than two players, though, and right. which is what I want to focus on right now, that's when it gets to a point where it's like, okay, can I get better at this game? Not using these negative tactics that are easy to use in a two-player game, but in a four-player game of Wingspan, how do you get better at that? And Kitty, you've played this far more than either of us. Like, how are you good at Wingspan? Can I sit down and beat you? Are you going to win because you've played it way more times than I have? And if so, how do I get better at it? How do I learn what you've learned? So I think... I am more likely to win, but not guaranteed to win. I feel like with some of these dueling card games, like the better player is usually going to win, regardless of the deck, whatever it is. Um, Whereas with Wingspan, there's enough randomness involved that even if I'm trying to go for a strategy, if I have this in mind, it might not work out for me. And 
somebody else's strategy might work for them. So, you know, there's the food dice. You can get messed up by those. You roll it. You don't get what you need. Several turns in a row, you're stuck. Um, You've got to adapt to those strategies really fast. Things like that. Um, Not being able to pull the birds to match your bonus cards. That, That one has destroyed me so many times. And I try to focus on it. And then learning that the bonus cards don't help you that much. <laughs> That's a big one. So I love looking. I like to be the person who scores the game at the end. And I think that's what helps me learn for the future is... Because you can cheat and up your score? No. It's because <laughs> I can see where other people are getting their points. So for a long time, I was playing to try to get feather points. That's like the value of the birds themselves. But I've learned that actually getting out more low-value birds is much better because you'll get these other points in so many other ways. And it just gives you momentum to keep doing more things faster. And honestly, usually when you get more birds out, you'll be able to get more food, get more resources to get more birds out. So you actually end up evening out these bird points with low-scoring many birds instead of these high-score birds. Honestly, like eggs. One time my mom won by just having like every nest on her board was filled with eggs. <laughs> you know, there's all these different ways of winning and I've seen them work. I've seen them fail so many times. It's kind of like you have to play your board, but it's fun to try out different things. And I don't know. I just like this game so much. I got wrapped up in talking about it. <laughs> no, I mean, and well, you're saying one of the things you said was, you know, you can have this strategy. And then it can fail because of whatever thing comes up. Where I'm willing to bet that a lot of people who are playing Wingspan for the first couple times, they don't actually have a strategy in mind. They're just kind of going with one or two things, one or two cards that kind of put them in a particular... Your bonus you card know, kind of like gives you a direction to in, in which to go, kind right. of. But it can mislead you. They're the, it it, they're the subtle destroyers of your strategy yeah. in that game <laughs> and that's the difference right because that bonus card can guide you and when you're first starting that's a fine way to go and if everyone's going w- with that strategy you're kind of in more of that random thing but if i'm playing against kitty and she has this bonus card and i have this bonus card and i'm following my bonus card and she's like eh, this is actually going to hurt me more this is going to help me i'm going to do this other strategy as a new player i may not realize this mm-hmm. so in that case i do need to play this game multiple times to figure out those strategies. And if I'm playing against the same people, though, and those same people are all with just go for your bonus card strategy, I may never get good at this game. I may think I'm good, but I I don't know that I am. So how do you measure that you are getting better at a four-person competitive game? Like, how do you know that you're getting better? Well, Wingspan is fun because you end up with a number of points. So I like to not just beat the points of the people I'm playing against, but I like to kind of hit a certain benchmark of like, well, did I get over 65 points or whatever it is? I can't remember. But I like look at my past score sheets. I keep all my old score sheets in the box so I can look and see like, have I been improving over time? Or is my mom just getting really good at this game? Have I been staying the same? I play with my mom a lot. She's a big fan of this game as well. So I actually got a request from her that I need to bring the expansion over to her house sometime this week or I'm going to be in trouble. <laughs> that's that's legit. And I like the idea of not measuring it based on did you win 
in the group, but how many points you got. Mm-hmm. Because I think that tells a different story. It's like bowling. So- yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like, it, it, it's uh, that's a great example. I go play leagues. I win every single time. What's the average score of your league? I don't know, 65. So I, I get an 80 <laughs> so regularly. Yeah. I am amazing at polling, right? <laughs> what kind of league is going to... Are you playing a league of kindergartners? <laughs> well, they is took this the a bumpers, bumpers league? Down and, <laughs> no, the bumpers league is way higher than 65. It's, yeah. it's just beyond the bumpers league. Oh, boy. But but it oh. is something to think about when you're trying to get good at a game is if you're measuring yourself against the people you're playing and whether or not you're beating the people you're playing, you also have to remember it's a sliding scale. Yeah. Because they may not be good at the game. You just might be the best of the worst of your group, right? And finding a different way to track whether or not you're good or not is very, very important. You know, even when you go back to the two-player dueling games, it's like, if I'm playing the same person over and over, yeah, I am amazing at this game. I never lose. <laughs> also, the person you played never wins. Yeah. So, how good are you? Right. Um. So, this reminds me of Sagrada. When I was playing Sagrada, I was, I, I won a few games in a row and I was feeling really good about it. And then I tried playing the solo variant and it is a beat a score kind of a thing and I couldn't win and I was like well how good am I really if I can't win the solo version of this game so that that was an interesting like you know little reality check to myself of like oh I, I'm not playing maybe people who are as interested in the puzzling nature of this game as I am yeah I recently I don't remember oh this was uh Suburbia I got Suburbia the Kickstarter the deluxe version um a couple weeks ago and I played it solo and it's, again, one of those things. It's, it's not my favorite kind of solo. It's like just a high score solo type of thing. But when I was playing it, I had a hard time just getting out of that first tier. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm really bad at this. Like, I'm not <laughs> seeing how to get points. Because I think the first tier was up to like 55 points or something like that. But it went up to like 120. And I got 60. And then I realized I was cheating the entire time. And <laughs> That's a way and to like, win. Yeah. Yeah, it, it worked out really, really well. In the solo version, you you advance or you decrease your income and population by two when you cross certain milestones. And every all the other versions, it's by one. So I'm like, I was following the regular rules, not the solo rules. But either way, I was like, I'm not good at this. I'm bad at this game. And I could definitely see how like, I could improve by playing this over and over and over just solo. But now if I do that too many times, and then I'm like, oh, let's play this Suburbia game. It's really fun. And now I'm just destroying people because we're not on the same level. And it is one of those games, like a lot of Euro games in general, or, you know, point salad type games, mm-hmm. where one person can really just destroy everybody else. Yeah, I got this way with Carcassonne after I got the um, board game or the, the video game version. And now no one will play Carcassonne. Yeah. Catan was a very similar thing with me. Like, I don't play Catan in person anymore, but when I was playing it on on mobile, like, you can get a game out in 20 minutes. And you play yeah. 50 Catan games. When you sit down and play in person, you are going to be better than everybody else. I forgot I got this way about Pandemic to the point where it's unpleasant to play Pandemic with me anymore because um, I alpha player like crazy because I'm used to playing all four players myself. And... um yeah, just once you start soloing and getting like really into it, nobody at the casual level 
at least my delightful family, who I love very much, doesn't want to put up with me anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I had a dream I was playing Pandemic the other night, but I was cheating. And I felt really guilty in my dream that I had been accidentally cheating for, like, (laughs) the entire game of Pandemic. We hadn't been flipping any of the infection cards. Yeah, that's more than cheating. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's just an activity and and putting tokens on the board. Uh, (laughs) I'm super good at this game. (laughs) (laughs) So, Fletcher... Should you want to get better if your friend group and let's say your friend group is Kitty and I and <laughs> yeah, just pretend for a second. Just pretend <laughs> let's for a just second. pretend that I'm friends with you. <laughs> In theory, if this were possible. Um <laughs> <laughs> and Kitty and I were really into a particular game. And you were like, okay, I played this, and we just want to play it every time we get together. Should you try to get better at that game or should you try to convince us that no that's not my kind of game whenever we get together i think we should play this just a different game something that we're all on the same level of like the fact that we like it the (laughs) fact that we spend so much time getting (laughs) you already know that fletcher doesn't like playing keyforge chris that's like the scenario you put forth (laughs) we can talk let's talk wingspan you know kitty is gonna destroy us every time we play wingspan from now on should we strive to get better at it or should we just say no kitty we don't want to play wingspan with you uh with a game like wingspan so it depends on the game right like if it's keyforge i have no chance of winning against you guys like i would play a few times and just be like yeah let's play a different game because i don't have any chance of like winning against you guys but a game like wingspan like yeah i would definitely Last time I played with Kitty, I actually won. This was a long time ago, but I did I did win that game. Um, I've learned a lot since then. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Except I still don't win all the time. My mom is like the biggest. Um, so we were playing at church. We do church game nights because um, I go to a church full of nerds. It's great. Um, so we were playing and my mom is telling everyone. She's like, oh, Kitty always wins those games. She almost won. She like. I did win this time, but she's beaten me <laughs> half of the time we play there. And I'm like, don't let her lie to you. She is like trying to get you guys to gang up on me so that she can subtly win in the background. This is her strategy. And it, it's she's a strategy sneaky. that works. But I like <laughs> what you said. Basically, Fletcher, what you, what I heard you say is, if I like the game, then yes, I will invest time in playing that game. Right. If I don't think I'm going to have a chance, actually, not if I like the game. If I don't think I'm going to have a chance to ever be as good, that's when I'm like, nah, never mind. There's no point in going in. But so, I mean, if I so feel- don't get me wrong. Like, I would, you phrase it as like, this is the game that we're going to play all the time. So if it was like Keyforge, if if we were meeting up and it's like, hey, bring your Keyforge decks, we're going to play a few rounds of Keyforge, then like, yeah, sure, I'm totally going to do that. <laughs> but if you're like, we're going to hang out all day and play Keyforge all day long, I'm going to, after, you know, the third or fourth time I lose, I'm going to be like, let's do something else. I can I can see that. Like having at least a chance is a requirement to get better at games. You have yeah. to feel like you at least have a chance to win. Otherwise, you're like there's there's no point. It's like the weightlifter who goes in and is like, "Oh, you just have to lift this 500 pound dumbbell or I don't know what they do. I don't know why I went to weightlifting." <laughs> I but there's so many metaphors <laughs> well, you could choose about. from. But the point is, if you go from nothing, like, I I can't do this, like, I can't even budge this weight, then that's not something that's going to be interesting to you, right? Whereas, if you go in and you're you're working with someone who's kind of at your same level, 
it becomes a friendly rivalry. You get to kind of go back and forth. And I said rivalry. Um, rival, <laughs> I wasn't going to point rival. it out, but it was very funny. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> I heard myself do it. I'm like, uh, that, it's that a rivalry. <laughs> but you, you can do that back and forth. And you kind of get better as you go back and forth. Chris just turned into Elmer Fudd for a second. <laughs> Me and that wabbit have a wascally wabbly. <laughs> But I could see Elmer Fudd and Bugs Bunny playing checkers and getting better back and forth. Actually, no, I think Elmer Fudd always loses, right? But he's persistent. That's your other type of person who's just persistent. I'm like, I don't care if I'm going to lose. I just want to keep playing until I win. And the first time they win, it's like, okay, I'm done. I've I've done what I set my goal out to. I don't. I which is another. It's sort of disappointing in that case. He's like, ah, I won. I'm good. I'm done. I'm never going to play again because I want to end on a high note. Uh, Spencer and I have been enjoying a lot um, elevating each other's play of The Fox in the Forest. Which is a trick-taking game for two players. Really liked that. Spencer really loves... So the way this game is scored is if you take zero to three tricks, you get six points. If you get one, you get zero. And then I think once you get up to four again... No, it's four is zero. So basically you want very few tricks or a lot of tricks but you can't let your opponent get under three because then they get a lot more points. Um, So you're always trying to set the other player or get kind of somewhere in the middle. So how are you guys getting, how are you guys getting better at this game or or challenging each other? Are you just playing games or are you playing certain games where we're going to analyze each move and why we did what we did? We play and then we talk about it. So we basically do like a, like run a commentary after every hand of like, oh, so, I saw what you were doing here, but I didn't have this card to stop you. Or, um, man, you really got me because I didn't realize you had like the foxes changed the Trump suit. So like one time Spencer had all three foxes and it was like, how am I supposed to account for that? No one ever gets all three foxes. And it's just that kind of stuff at the, the end of the round talking through, oh, like, I thought I wasn't going to be able to go for the low one because I had all these high cards. But then the way you started playing, I was really able to go under them in a way I wasn't expecting and that kind of stuff. Yeah, Sydney and I will sometimes challenge each other on every move we make. So when we played Homeworlds a lot, it's a fully open information game. And every yeah. time we made a move, if the other person didn't think that was the optimal move, we were like, okay, justify that. Yeah. Why did you do that? And we do that sometimes in Keyforge as well. It's like, okay... Why did you do that? The trick here is to make sure you know that's the type of game you're playing yes. before you start playing. Because I will accidentally challenge her in, in cases where it's like, oh, we're not playing this game. I don't need to challenge everything you're doing. <laughs> I, I should just let you do what you're going to do. Because she'll get really, really upset with me. It's like, I, I know what I'm doing. I'm like, okay, I'm just wondering why you would have done that versus this other thing. you know. And you really have to be on that same level. It's like, this is a challenge game and that we're trying to learn from each other not an actual game where we're trying to learn from each other just by playing a normal game yeah so i think for us we we more play the normal game and then analyze after because especially there's um so much hidden information in fox in the forest that's a really it, it would be very difficult to challenge a move in a moment unless you know what's in their hand and playing open handed is actually a really good way to learn and get better at a game except you have to sort of like feign a lack of knowledge about knowledge. their hand. Yeah. Yep. But being yep. able to see how they're making their decisions can really 
um, teach you how to play. I actually learned a lot about playing poker by watching it on TV because my brother got super into watching like the World Series of Poker for a while and watching somebody and seeing all the hands, seeing what people are doing and hearing the commentary and um, all the math behind the decisions that are made in something like Texas Hold'em, that can really teach you a lot about playing. Yeah. Well, and I think that it's like just hearing what other people are doing or watching other people doing it. That's another way you can get better at playing a game. Now, most games to a certain point, most games do not have televised or streamed versions of them. Um, Your competitive magic games do a lot of your competitive games. Now that Twitch is able to, you, you can really do it without the expense of like getting it on TV. <laughs> yep. Well, and you can watch people like board games. Oftentimes you watch people play those games. So you can yeah. kind of judge what they're doing and how well they do based on watching this game. But you tend not to get a commentary with it where when I'm watching, if I'm watching a magic tournament or um, actually when I was researching Yu-Gi-Oh and discovering how much I hated that game, um, <laughs> I watched a lot of tournament commentary on that. You can get a lot out of what people are commenting on and what they're saying about particular moves that were made. So in these highly competitive games, that's another way of getting better at the game. But you're still in a situation where you are getting better than your peer group that you're playing yeah. with. So that could be still be a problem because everyone should be watching these same things and learning the same things from them. I mean, I think that gets into like almost a parallel with like professional sports is... You know, everyone watches and commentates and knows how to, theoretically, they know how to play football, but nobody does. Nobody's out there doing it. We just talk about other people playing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and maybe that's a good way to get better, too, is like watching some other game that with no commentary and commenting it on yourself. Yeah. I've heard a lot of like amateur commentators who are like, I my gameplay is better because the way I have to study the decks that are going to be played and the players before just so I'm able to commentate on them has given me a different way of looking at the game. And now I'm like, oh, they have this card or they're going to be able to do this thing. And because of that, they have all these options open to them that I can comment on. And like, oh, wait, when I'm playing, I can actually do those same things and keep on, you know, it's just an interesting way. The more you talk about a game, the better you're going to get at it as well. Okay, so I had a really great idea just now. And that is that you and me need to start a Keyforge commentary. Um, I I don't know. We just need to start commentating on Keyforge. We'll just go out and find our own videos to do this. Um, But like in the style of the Pitch Perfect commentators. (laughs) Yes. I'm in. Yes. Excellent. So excited. And there's plenty plenty (laughs) of streamed games without commentating. There's like entire channels that take those streamed games and then they put their own commentary over it. That would be amazing. So is that does that make me the incredibly sexist one? Yes. Okay. All right. But then I, I get to be really mean. All right. Which I love. Perfect. But <laughs> but in a, in a happy, condescending way. Of course. Yeah. All right. <laughs> We're gonna get sued, but I'm in. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Um. Well, I think this was. I kind of like this topic. Just thinking about games in this way will make you better at games in general. Anyway. Um. I do want to one more quick thing here. We've talked about playing individual games and playing and how to get better at individual games. 
thoughts on playing lots of different games and having that get you better at a specific game. So we can say um, Wingspan, for example, is a point salad type game. So if you play a lot of different point salad games and then come back to Wingspan, are you going to be better at Wingspan? Are you going to see different things that maybe other games have you are, are point things out better? Or if I'm playing Keyforge, is going to play Magic and Pokemon going to make me a better Keyforge player? Like, what do you guys think about that type of approach where you just get away mm-hmm. from the game, play something similar and come back with different perspectives. I don't know about that. You don't think that's useful? I mean, I think it's useful that you can identify what type of games they are when they come up, but I don't think that I think I think that identifying a game is also kind of like knowing the strategy of the game to win, but I don't think it's going to make you better at that game, if that makes sense. Like, oh, this is a point salad type of game. So, like, I need to go for, like, maximum number of points. But, like, if I've never played win- Wingspan before, I wouldn't automatically be good at it. I do I think just know, like, the general you... strategies to go for. Yeah. I think it gives you a leg up on early play, but I don't think it necessarily helps you um, become, like, an expert player. So, yeah. I know because I've played a lot of games, I'm better at picking up new games faster than other people. Not all the time. There are games that I just... Um, homeworld <clears throat> will never, <clears throat> never be able to understand. <laughs> but there, there's a larger possibility that, like, I've seen common um, mechanisms. I know what. Oh, there's a marketplace. I'm going to have to buy cards. They're going to be coming out. I need to keep an eye on this or whatever it is. Like, I know what I'm looking for faster than people who don't play games very often. So there is something to that, but I, I don't think it. Like, oh, I'm really good at Pokemon, so now I'm going to be able to translate that into be really good at magic. They're, right. they're not comparable. There are going to be, like, sure, a competitive Pokemon player is probably going to get better at magic faster than somebody who's never played a collectible, collectible card game before. But it's still going to take, there's still a learning curve there of knowing the game itself. Yeah, I, I think there's a, I think you're both right in certain ways. I'll add to that that we're things playing the same like, thing. <laughs> well, right. Well, <laughs> like things like a worker placement game, right? In yeah. general, in a worker placement game, if you have the option to get additional workers, that is a good strategy. When you first play your first worker placement game, you may not realize that that is a good strategy. And so when you go to a new worker placement, I am, I am. And, yeah. but I'm going to take it one step further um, and actually take it into a negative realm because when you take that into consideration, it's like, I'm playing a new game, getting new workers is usually good. So now this new game, I'm going to get new workers. But in that particular game, workers aren't actually as beneficial as all these other games. So you you start going down a path where you're actually hurting yourself in the early stages by making assumptions it's like another game. Um, back to our you know favorite example, Keyforge. When Magic players come over to play Keyforge, they often focus on the wrong things early on. They focus yeah. on combat. Usually like creature heavy, yeah. yeah. So it takes them, they have to break that habit. Yeah. Um, Keyforge, you draw up to your maximum hand size at the end of your turn. You untap at the end of your turn. Magic is the opposite. You untap at the beginning of your turn and you only draw one card. So these habits we can get into can actually can hurt actually us hurt. in these competitive yeah. games early on. However, I will say, when you are good at Magic or Pokemon and finding card combos and building decks and putting things together and seeing how those things can interact with each other, 
you will eventually, that skill will carry over into these new games. So some of these more general habits can be, you know, they're the hard ones to switch over. But understanding how card games work, how worker placement games work, how point salad games work, understanding that in general, I think can make you better at all of the games. Um, It just, it's not, maybe not right out of the gate. Well, even something like um, puzzle solving. I like to do logic puzzles in Sudoku and being able to look at things from multiple different ways and come at um, questions from different sides and making inferences and those kinds of skills really translate into so many games. Um, And just like the way you organize your thoughts and being able to hold on to information in your head, like those kinds of skills are almost universally helpful in playing any game. So yep. highly recommend those those kinds of habits if you want to get better. Yeah. yeah, so if you're only ever playing one game and you want to get really good at that game, it doesn't hurt to branch out and try some other stuff, even if it's just for a few games. Um, really just to kind of shake up your thinking. So when you yeah. come back, you can you may not have learned anything, but you're coming back with kind of a a fresh, you, you took a vacation, you know, and you come back a week later, and it's like, all right, now I can approach this with a new idea. My mom moment for the episode, sleep is very important to learning too. If you want <laughs> to get better at something, you need to sleep and especially you need to dream. We actually translate a lot of our learning into long-term, like, knowledge Memory. in when you're dreaming. Yep. Have I you ever had a dream about a though. game you played? Oh, I do. all the time. All the time. Yep. <laughs> You can't. I mean, if you can't not if you've played the game for like six hours straight and you go to sleep right after that. It's like, it's just, it's going to be what you dream about. And you'll wake up better. They did studies on it. It's super interesting. So the moral of this episode is play games, go to sleep, wake up, play more games. Yeah. All right. I think we'll end right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Just a, uh, I haven't actually talked about it much, but Sydney and I were, are going to be at PAX Unplugged in Philadelphia this weekend. So if you're in... Philadelphia, feel free to stop by the Keyforge area because that's where we will be. And we will be wearing Grey Riders t-shirts and or Keyforge hoodies. Um, but yeah, so we'll be there pretty much all weekend. I think we're getting there Thursday night. So Friday, Saturday, and Sunday we'll be playing Keyforge. Um, I'm so upset. <laughs> it was sort of a last minute thing. It actually... Yeah, there was there was a conflict with work too, and I'm like, oh no, I can't. So I wanted to. There's a thing I wanted to do on Friday, but I'm going to be in Philadelphia, so it's it's totally fine. Um, work will live without me. But yeah, so that one I'm looking forward to. I think that's going to be our last convention for the year, since that is in December, and I don't think there's anything in the <laughs> holiday area. <laughs> but um, so you can follow us at Facebook at Tabletop Game Talk Podcast. I think Twitter is at <laughs> tabletop game TLK. Kitty is lawful good mom. Fletcher is that Fletch. I am game master Chris. Uh, leave us some reviews because we haven't got one in a while. I don't think. Uh, or check out our Patreon at tabletopgametalk.com slash Patreon. Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Thanks for listening. And remember, we love your feedback. So email us with comments or questions about today's topic at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. All right. And today's credits are from Eugene and to stick with tradition i have not heard these yet so (laughs) we'll just see how they go so here's q eugene adam harrison the sgc jason strong terrence miltner stephen seitz brian arnold sean p kelly c marie rudy lou benjamin hamowitz jerry huang stephen phillips caleb o'brien jennifer engelbrecht justin willard christopher dong jason marks jeremy fisher david radke nick quitstra 
David Sellers, Jason Rodney, Michael Yanikowski, Miles Clark, Cindy Lum, Phil Schwartzel, Ann Reynolds, Eric Huffman, Adrienne Dong, Nate, Faz Flintham, Sean Peck, Eric C. Yander, Mike Smith, Trevor Davis, Tim Vernig, Chris Lowe, Joe Hoover, Timothy Gross, Glenn Cotter, Jesse Wachowiak, Emil Jewel Jacobson, Marina Stevens, Brady Meltzer, Gregory Hoover, Don Gilstrap, Stephen Judd, Leanne Verhost, Christopher Letko, John Lewis, Joe Rackstad, Ron Nelson, Neil McLaughlin, Sahara Wentworth, Weatherman Keefe, Nicholas Lotz, Agnes Toth, Paul Raymer, and Jimothy. And Matthew Droke. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. So like two thirds of the way through that recording, my hair tie just broke in my hair. I and thought it was <laughs> pull something out of your hair, and I was like, yeah. "What is that?" I thought it was electrical <laughs> wiring that you pulled out of your hair. Like, why no, do you it's have one of those like little plastic ones? And it just snapped in half, like out of nowhere. It was very distracting. So I'm sorry if I suddenly. I just I just saw your hair was all up, and then all of a sudden you shook your head, and that your hair just falls down around your shoulders, and you just kept going. So I'm like, all right, it was whatever. A very like a she's all that kind of a moment. <laughs> yeah. If only I had my glasses on to take off. <laughs> <laughs>